I remember looking to my right, and as far as I can see, the whole horizon is just like white wall. I think, like, huh, what the F is that? Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Hey, my name is Carsten Eichholz and I host Brood in Bangkok, a podcast about the authentic stories and the raw experiences of the people you meet in the streets of Bangkok. What you just heard at the beginning of the episode was an excerpt from an interview with Daniel Quanamo, who experienced the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami firsthand and lived to tell the tale and tell he will. Let's hear his story. I have been a social studies teacher for the last eight and a half years at the same high school here in Bangkok. 39 years ago, I was born into a middle-class family in Sweden, brought up in sort of southern part of Sweden. Eventually, I ventured to Thailand my first time in 2000 after I finished my first degree, which was a bachelor degree in consciousness studies. Wait a second. Consciousness studies. Yeah, there was a new program, cross-scientific program between philosophy of mind and neuroscience. What were you What were you thinking would you be working once you graduate? That wasn't, I didn't look that far ahead, I guess we, I can admit. I just thought it would be interesting to read about and study about. Maybe not the brightest idea from a career perspective, but I did enjoy it for those years that I did study. Did you end up with student loans from that? Not for the first three years, because the, for my bachelor's I stayed at home and the Swedish government subsidized studies, so there are no tuition fees and they give you a small allowance, I guess we can call it, like a small amount of money every month, so I did not borrow any money for the first three years. When did you first come to Thailand? Yeah, so I finished my bachelor then in 2000 and I went for the summer break, I guess we can call it. So two and a half months of backpacking in Southeast Asia. 2003, I took a break from my master's studies and I went for seven months. Went back home to Sweden in 2004, got offered a job back in Thailand. What kind of job were you offered in 2004? Yeah, so in 2004, a friend of mine, the guy I was traveling with the first time, he worked as a dive instructor for a Swedish dive company down in Krabi. And they needed people to take other tourists out snorkeling, basically, on one or two day trips around the archipelago of Krabi. So what's your job as a snorkeling instructor? Yeah, well, yeah, kind of like a guide or service person. So we took people on the boats there and um, sort of told them about the data and stuff they could expect to see when they went snorkeling around different islands and locations. So you're like, oh, we're on a boat. We'll go to see some water. We're going to be near a rock and there'll be fish. Well, <laughs> pretty much like that. A little bit more detail about which kind of fish there are there. and it's like the blue stuff. one and the green one. Yeah. Or um, you have charge and sort of, you can see yeah, these kind of fish that we're going to see here. But yeah, mainly just like servicing them and making sure everybody's on board when they're supposed to be on board and not leaving anybody behind in the water and whatnot. Okay. But you, you don't, you yourself don't eat fish, right? Uh, I never 
Maybe I had fish five times in my life maximum. I never liked it even when I was a kid and we had to eat it at school. I used to stuff my pocket with fish and throw it when I came out of the canteen. So sometimes my mom used to find old like fish leftovers in my pockets and stuff. And it's like, Daniel, why do you smell a fish? Um, yeah. Well, well. <laughs> well, we're not censoring here, so feel free to say whatever you want. You know? um, okay, so in spite of not eating any fish, you could advise people on what kind of fish they would see. And uh, Yeah, I mean, it was um, pretty interesting. In that way, we saw one time there was even a reef shark there, and we could see turtles, but there were sort of more of the well, it was groupers and smaller fish as well. Like What's a reef shark? Well, you have the black tip reef shark and you have the white tip reef shark. They're pretty common in Thailand. They would be maybe like one and a half meter. So you don't exactly see them like coming out of the water in slow motion and like grab... No. Not like anything like in Jaws, no. But the first time I saw one was my first trip here. I was at Gotao, actually like snorkeling early in the morning. And when you see the silhouette of a shark and you're in open water, it still pretty like whoop, sort of spooked you for wait, wait, a so second. Okay. So you saw the shark and you thought... Not yes for like one, two seconds. You'd be like, oh shit, like it's a shark. And then you realize, well, okay, it's not that big or dangerous and it's swimming away from me. So. Well, well, wait, you could tell that or like... You yeah, know, you, you can see it, yeah. Okay. It's well, not, not that far away. Like. Well, then you're really lucky that wasn't a big one, you know, if you notice it, that it, that's uh, I, don't, I mean, in Thailand, there's not really any sort of danger of any sharks. I mean, the reef, tar- reef tip, what's it called? Yeah. Reef tipped sharks, they're not dangerous. Okay. So when you were coming here in 2004, were you here in December? That I was as well. And um, that was when the tsunami happened, the big tsunami. Yeah, and um, Christmas Boxing Day, right? Tsunami right, right. 2004. I Where wa- were you at the time? Yeah, I was uh, working at this company then. We were taking people out on the boat. And I was one of two staff in the water with just a few of the guests. We were in the water. And then my captain, he starts honking the horn on the ship. We wonder, okay, what's going on now? But they had mentioned that there might be a bit of current in the water. So we thought, okay, maybe it's too much current in this part of the well, sea. And then we're going to go somewhere else. So gather up all the tourists and, okay, everybody get up on the boat. And they're kind of like not too pleased about not being allowed to be in the water. But we said, oh, we're going to go somewhere else. What do you mean they were not too pleased? They were like, uh, Well, yeah, I just think, okay, well, we paid for this. We want to be here. And we still didn't know what was going on. So we were like, yeah, we're going to go somewhere else. So the tourists were like, we paid for this. We want to be in the water. Yeah, but at this time, nobody knew anything what was happening. But it's going to be get worse in that case then. So we okay. get on the boat. The captain said we need to go quickly because boats are sinking in Phuket. And think like, well, what does that matter? That's hours from here. It has nothing to do with us. But he then was experienced and wise. So we said we were between Krabi and Pipi Island, next to an island called Bamboo Island. And he starts driving full speed to head towards PP. So we, you, you're out in the open water, basically, and you just heard there were, like, boats sinking. Yeah, and he heard how, it on the radio. How far were you away from the island? 
from Bamboo Island. Yeah, the next closest mm. island. You were seeking shelter there, right? Well, no, we're moving away from Bamboo Island because it's a small, flat island. Uh-huh. And we were swimming distance from Bamboo, but hundreds of meters from Bamboo, which is maybe a few kilometers from PP Island, something like that. Mm-hmm. We still didn't realize what was going on. At this time, I would say the word tsunami didn't mean too much to me and I guess quite a big part of the population. So when we are like between these two islands of Bamboo and Pipi, I remember looking to my right and as far as I can see, the whole horizon is just like a white wall. I think, like, huh, what the F is that? What do you mean and white it, wall? Like it's yeah, yeah, like as far as you can see, the horizon is no longer flat and blue with a line between the sky and the sea instead it looks like hmm this wi- a white wall and it's coming towards us it's is it like in the movies where you see that? i mean it, it wasn't fast moving like that that you could see but you look at it and then like realize oh shit this it's a big f well, a big wave coming it's just like okay we told everybody okay everybody put on your life jackets of course, it's a Thai boat then, so we didn't have life jackets for everybody. Me being a good staff member, had to give up my life jackets. Instead, put on two wetsuits. Gives you buoyancy and like floating if you have wetsuits on. How did you feel about that? Well, didn't feel too great about it. I think like, oh shit, this uh, could be could be bad. Like, were you, were you thinking there was a threat to your life? Um, definitely thinking like, oh. It's very likely that we're going to get hit by by this massive wave coming our way and better be prepared for being in the water. Yeah. So w- were you thinking this wave was going to turn over the boat? Definitely thinking it was going to struck the boat or hit the boat and probably toss us over the side. Yeah. Did you have like was that the moment where you like reflecting on life or mm, uh, No. It wouldn't go. Uh, it didn't go that far, because it was still quite far in the distance. And now, many years later, so it's kind of like weird to think about it. But I remember that okay, everybody put on life jackets. We stood at the edge of the boat and we brought up cameras, and we were filming it. My friend still has the files. He's gonna send it to me again. I met him a few days ago again, and we sort of reminisced again about this another Swedish man. And we could see when the waves came in, they broke over the reefs. The waves went over the trees at Bamboo Island. So definitely, if we had stayed there, we would have been screwed. But our captain, and since he was, he knew what was going on, he got us into safety, and we were hiding behind PP, sort of sheltered from the swells of the wave. PP Island, which is one of the two. PP Islands, uh, PP Don, the big ones we were behind. Very famous tourist destination, which is kind of shaped like an hourglass. So you have two high peaks, and then in between there is low ground where you have the beach where most people were staying and most hotels were located. So when the wave struck, PP basically washed away the low lying buildings. Did in you the see that? Like these? We could not see it from where we were, but we heard on the radio people calling for help and assistance, boat sinking and so on. Um, but when that happened, we saw the waves crashing over the other islands where we had been. And then we waited around. We heard on the radio people asking for help, didn't know what was going on. Really bloody hot. Uh, December, Thailand, sun shining. 
then came the tourists not realizing what had happened and they were getting upset us when we said like everybody needs to stay on the boat we don't know what's going on it's so like oh but we want to go swimming this was yeah. after the wave this hit. was after the wave uh, i can also say that i didn't know really the tsunami so we saw the wave i texted my family and i just brought big fucking wave i'm okay and then basically after the you texted it after the wave yeah okay and then after that connections died so I, my brother told me after that he's seen it and he's just like, oh, what's this? Just turned off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, a few hours later, it's on TV all over the world, basically. But at least then they knew that I was safe. Another weird thing that happened when we were waiting, we were waiting behind the island and was that we get like a backdraft or a second swell like the i guess the water go up on the land and then it was going back and when it came back then it kind of rocked the boat again we waited around there with other boats for many hours nobody knew okay what are we gonna do but sort of this happened in the morning and first in the afternoon we decided okay let's go up to open water again and drive back to Krabi and uh, sort of a little armada Krabi. of boat the Ama, uh, Krabi mainland mm -hmm. So maybe a bunch, like 10 boats or something, kind of went around the same time, headed through the mainland, and then we could see when we're getting closer to shore, then we could see like broken long tail boats. They were lifting up bodies sort of on the piers. Like you said that you were getting, like at this point you had, you just knew there was a wave. You hadn't seen any impact or so you just seen, okay, there was a big wave. You had no idea what this wave... Not how bad it had been uh, to any extent, no. I mean, we, we could see it and we heard people calling for help. We see now sort of wreck, like wrecked boats coming like. in. We saw dead people, like the lifting people up on the pier. Was there a moment where you, you know, it took you to realize that those were people or you were like... Mm. I don't have a really clear picture. I have, like It was sort of after sunset when we come in and it was like sort of a little bit to the my in the peripheral that more like yeah dark shadows lifted up piled up and then for the next two days i volunteered at the hospital it was pretty sort of obviously unorganized injured people separated from their families not enough sort of for me i was like i didn't have to sort of deal with identifying bodies like some of my friends helped out with doing sort of helping shock people finding their family members people who've been bloated in the water and that was sort of horrible for them obviously for me i was just yeah, walking around in the hospital asking people for their identification and collecting yeah, names and info you mentioned when you when this wave first hit um you heard cries for help on the radio mm -hmm. were these in english were these in thai or did you just hear like chatter how do you um i think that i wasn't in the, in what's um, well in the cabin so I, it was retold to me i just i think it might have been then in thai and then i was yeah, told this is what's happening they're calling for help and so on but we didn't nobody really dared to you know go across to the other side we didn't know what was happening so the tourists were obviously oblivious to what was going on mm -hmm. at least and for the in the beginning yeah and the captain kind of had a hunch yeah well yeah. how did the crew react what what were uh, there were two thai crew there was a sort of very experienced thai captain and his like uh, hand crew what's it called 
deck deck hand yeah, deck hand yeah and then we were maybe like five westerners working for this company and then let's say maybe 20 tourists something um I think the staff, Thai and Western, we were more sort of understood that this was something serious that had happened. And many of the tourists, they were more annoyed about sitting sort of really hot and sweaty. And after a few hours, then started to run out of food and water. And so. Did they, like, was there a change in the mood when you started to come back into the harbor and you could see, okay, this is actually really serious? Did you see that tourists kind of caught up to the reality mm, I don't know if I can really remember other people's sort of that changed no but I'm sure that when we did talk to people later we met up you know like days after and uh, in the later in the evening we all met uh, at the meeting point and then pe it had sort of dawned on people that oh, how well, that was serious not that it was so serious that it went across to Africa and you know like hundreds of thousands of people dead because in Aonang I think there were like two people died Aonang is it's in mainland Krabi where you have uh, some of the well one of the most famous sort of tourist resort areas okay so once you well, how did that feel you you'd arrived at the harbor and the moment you set back foot on land like what went through your head well obviously it's a very big sort of sigh of relief then being on mainland you feel safe on land and sort of you can start relaxing about not being on a ship on the ocean I guess like isn't that a bit ironic given that you know the reason you were safe is because you were on a ship uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying that that's why you're safe but yeah you the different some people are safe at the open sea but you're only safe on the open sea if it's deep enough so that the wa the wave doesn't build up mm. were you like at the time were you like working how many days a week were you working six days a week for this company so and when i was off i went diving okay could it like would there have been any possible constellation where you had been on land like you know you i don't know you mm, don't no, have a day in, off or in, you in Aonang it wouldn't have been a problem really there's a big sea wall down by the beach that took like the biggest hit and i think it's different angles as well so like some of the shop houses beachfront shop houses were kind of like a bit messed up long tail boats got destroyed two people died who were out on the next island but nothing compared to like pipi and gaulak and phuket which were much much worse hit And that's just a distance of like 30, 40 kilometers? Might be something like that. It's like a yeah, short distance drive. Like. So did that, did that change your... I mean, you apparently have been a very active diver at the time. Did that change your relationship with the sea? Did you get afraid of going out again? or? No, I wasn't affected by that. I guess it's such a small and unusual event that it's nothing that I thought about that it would happen again. So you spent two days volunteering at this hospital, mm -hmm. um, taking down details of people. Yeah. And um, was then there a point where you said, okay, I had enough, I can't take this anymore? Or No, for me that wasn't the point. But after like two days, 
sort of the government started getting more organized and proper sort of help organization got involved. But the first two days, many of the victims then of this situation, um, they were like asking like, oh, who are you? Why are you doing this? And it's really good that you do it, but why isn't the government here? Why don't they do anything? The Swedish government actually got pretty a lot of critique about sort of having a delayed response, considering how many Swedes are down in Thailand. Mm. Did how did that did that event change your outlook on some things in life? Um, I don't really think so, but of course you. You're lucky and you appreciate that you had that luck. Like you re- also realized, oh, if I hadn't had this experienced captain, I could have been dead, basically. So that's kind of a well. Good well, that this, this didn't go bad. Well, um, or I have a little joke with my students. I tell them this story as well, and I had another sort of, well, an accident in Thailand. So I say that I have spent two out of my three lives or chances here in Thailand. Okay. What was that accident? Uh, yeah, also involved in Thailand in 2008. I was at Koh and I fell off a platform and I broke my spine and my hip and my elbow. Wait, so you were in Koh Phangan, which is like the party island, the, you know, where people like to... That's well, correct. <coughs> Um, yeah, that's people think then that I've had been out drinking or doing drugs, but that's not the case. I, um, I'm, I don't drink. I don't do any drugs, and they took me to a clinic. Okay, how did that accident happen? So I was with friends. We just checked into a new built resort, and they had an elevated pool. So the pool wasn't dug down in the ground; instead, it was elevated on a platform. And since it was new, there were no fence around this platform, and there were no lights. So I was basically had bad luck and a bit of sort of careless. I was looking at my camera, taking photo of my friend. And basically it was an infinity pool. So one of the edges of the pool was also the edge of the platform. And I just took a step out in midair, fell down, landed on my side and oh. screamed. How far did you fall down? It wasn't very high. It was like maybe two meters, two and a half meter, but completely unprepared. Just straight down, landed on my hip. No sort of protection from hands or anything like that. You broke your hip? Yeah, my hip broke. And I broke one well, appendix of the spine. I'm not sure about the technical term of it. Verbebrate, maybe? Something uh-huh. like that. And cracked my elbow. But the biggest problem there was actually, I think, the hip. It was the most, like, the major fraction and spine was a sounds very severe but it was less severe than the hip actually so you fell down and you started screaming you probably were in a quite a bit of pain that was very very intense pain never felt or experienced anything like it it was basically i prepare um compared to like what i imagine being tied down and someone taking a sledgehammer and hitting you as hard as they can against your hip And I uh, I screamed at the top of my lungs. Eventually, when people came, they must have called some kind of like, basically like a little jungle um, ambulance, something was, uh, I think, like a pickup. They tried to lift me up. You shouldn't move your neck and whatnot. But when they lifted me up, my back bent then. So I uh, screamed in the beginning. Then, of course, I 
screaming super painful I tried to calm myself down checked that okay can I move my feet I saw okay I could move my toes that calmed me down a bit I think like okay I'm not at least I'm not paralyzed the pain was so intense I didn't think much about like the future once I realized okay I'm not paralyzed I was just hoping for the best there was a really bumpy ride on back of a pickup they took me to a little clinic first they made sure then that I had insurance which I had a good Swedish insurance they made some basic evaluation they said like you need to go back you need to go across the sea to Samui it's the next island where they have big uh, some hospitals then that's the first time that they put me on a speedboat they gave me morphine first time I had it I think and that was really nice just took away all the pain sort of you feel like a warm wave sweeping across your body and then it's like oh it's like one second to another yeah basically yeah like a second you feel it coming into your system and then you're just like hmm I, I know I'm in pain but I don't care anymore something like that it's like wow that must have been quite the dose uh, and uh, yeah I guess so and then they they took me over there to the hospital and then I, I stayed there for like 10 days in Samui Samui they put me through the MRI and uh, there was a, a German doctor there I think and he told me like you need to go to to Bangkok they kept me a bunch of days my then Thai girlfriend flew down and she took care of me sort of which at the first I didn't want to I just like thought well I'm gonna fly back to Bangkok soon but it's actually really nice having the support of friends and well girlfriend down there didn't real realize how long I had stayed because I had my own sort of morphine injection device that I could just press whenever I was in pain I just pressed it so I remember that I asked her oh, how long have I been here she told me oh you've been here 10 days now I thought oh I thought I had been here like three. <laughs> so I guess I was pretty sort of under it. But yeah, okay. Then they, my insurance company sent down a nurse from... A Scandinavian nurse from Denmark. And then they hired like a private jet. And they took me... Just me. Wait. A yeah. private jet? Like you had like this... Like like one of the movies, you know, where you like have the you know. It the was a big bar. sort of regular sized commercial airline, but only for me, my doc, well my nurse at least, and my girlfriend and some well I guess some nurses and the pilots and whatnot. When you like with the propellers or with like no well, a jet one. So there's like two hundred seats on that plane. Whatever they use to fly down to Samui, so it's like a commercial airliner going to Samui. So yeah, like a big proper plane. Wow. Yeah. And but your insurance paid for that. They paid for that. Yeah, I didn't pay anything. Not not a not a bot. Like. They're like, didn't they kind of say, well, you know, can we send him like by boat maybe? Or <laughs> that wouldn't have been possible. Well, I guess it would have been possible boat and then train bus something. But no, they were very, very good. It was called, I had Folksam at this time, was a Swedish company. And it's handled by SOS International, which uh, at least is big in Scandinavia. I'm not sure if it's big, like, internationally. Right. They do have a branch down here, an office. 
Right. Also, as a note for our listeners, they're not paying us for this. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So there, the insurance flew you to Bangkok. What happened next? Yeah, and then they took me to hospital, which is like the, well, I guess one of the best and sort of fanciest. And I stayed about a week. And first I had a, my own room, I think. And then I had to share a room with someone else then. But uh, a bit different from the Scandinavian treatment in the sense that I, just after a few days, they wanted to start like physical therapy. They had me up on a walker, which means that you're like supporting yourself, you know, like the old people have when they're sort of walking by. I get, at that time, I remember like uh, my elbow was hurting and they were like, oh, okay, well, we can give you some treatment for that. And I had like some massage and ultrasound and stuff. Eventually, when I get sent back home to Sweden, they put me on the hospital there and I complained about the pain in my elbow. They scanned me again and then I realized like my elbow is cracked as well, which they had missed at this hospital then. And they were much more conservative in Sweden. They said, like, no, you're not supposed to do anything. Physical therapy, you're staying in bed until we checked everything again. How long were you in the hospital in Bangkok? For about a week, I think. And then they flew you back to Sweden? Yeah, then they put me on a stretcher on a commercial airline again. So I had, like, six seats maybe on a commercial airline on a stretcher. But there were other people on the plane Yeah, this time. like a completely full, normal route. And they put a little curtain around my stretch, and I stayed on that one. Yeah, I, I, I used to work for an airline. I know they love the stretchers. That's like, you know, man, when, when else do you get to sell six economy class seats yeah. for $20,000? <laughs> um, right, so you were sent to Sweden. And um, how long were you in a hospital there? Uh, surprisingly short amount of time, and my parents were a bit shocked about that, I guess. I would think I was only there for two or three days. And then they sent me home and I stayed at my parents' place, but they sent these rehabilitationist specialists, I guess, or something like that they would be called. So they, like, modified my home. You get, like, a special seat for the bathroom. Wait, you had, like, a stair lift and... Uh, uh, no, but they, they did some, like, raised my bed, raised the bathroom seats... How do, you, how do they raise a bed? Do they put, like, bricks under it? Uh, they like they'd put stuff under there, yeah. Oh, okay. And um, you get like, I'm I'm not wasn't allowed to bend my back, so you had like a, well a thing to like, grab your socks with and put it on and like you had the to things that people use to pick up the trash. Yeah, okay. one of those. And I had a wheelchair and then a walker after that. Yeah. Okay, and how long did that go on? I probably went back to Thailand a bit too early. I went back in February. The accident happened in October. Oh, I did still at that time had my relationship here. And I guess I wanted to get back to that. I was hoping to get back to my job again, which did happen. I was welcomed back to my job, even though I had been away for a few months. So I have stayed at the same job for eight and a half years now, teaching social studies. But this is actually my last year, last semester. So I'm going to see some pretty big changes coming up now, I think, then. This is my last month of working there when I'm not teaching social studies or I'm also teaching Swedish on the side I go to a lot of concerts a sort of underground alternative music scene here in Bangkok what's the underground music scene in Bangkok like? Uh, it changed a lot during these nine years I lived here it used to be like very difficult to go to a gig they maybe happened 
not every not even every month and now there are gigs every week maybe like three a day uh, every week and you have a few shows but it also depends a little bit if what kind of gigs you're going to if you're going for like the hardcore punk gigs or alternative rock or how did you like what do you think drives that change why is it like is that music style becoming more popular is it just more people in bangkok or what do you think is the reason uh, probably a variety of reasons one i think is the alternative music scene in bangkok i think has been pretty inspired by foreigners and there's been more foreigners coming and, and let's keep in mind you don't drink right you don't smoke uh, no that's correct since well I could classify myself as what is called a straight edge, sorry, which is like a subgenre of hardcore punk music where you also choose not to indulge in any, well, alcohol or drugs or smoking. So I haven't done the, any of that since 1996 and also being a vegetarian, sort of a vegetarian lifestyle. Right, right. I mean, you, we all know how you recognize a vegetarian at the party, right? No. They'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I mean, the lone, sad guy in the corner. Like. By the way, yeah, Daniel, since he doesn't drink any alcohol, we settled on Earl Grey green tea. I'm not actually seeing the green in it. Yeah, this is definitely not green tea. This is some fruity, I would say maybe black currant tea or something. Wait, wait, no, I think, no, I'm pretty sure it's grey. Uh, no, wait. It's not fruity. It's pretty fruity, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, we are um, at a place called Au Bon Pain, which has been around for a long time, ever since uh, I moved here for the last 10 years. Despite the French name, I think it's an American company. I always like their mozzarella sandwich. So that's our choice today, the Earl Grey green tea with a fruity flavor at Au Bon Pain. Daniel, thank you very much for joining us today for a cup of tea. Thank you, thank you. I hope your remaining stay in Thailand will be a lot more uh, safe. Accident and, prone. And uh, maybe less interesting than your stay so far. Well, see what happens. Hope for the best. No more accident. I do hope my life's going to stay interesting. Well, <laughs> let's, let's end on that then. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. That was the first episode of Brood in Bangkok. In the next show, I'll be talking to an underground music journalist. He will share his experiences working in a refugee camp on Thailand's border to Burma. So stay tuned.